0: weeks ago and then last week I was just sharing with you some of the things concerning the pastor's conference and uh, the things that the Lord put on my heart and I hope that it was a great encouragement and a blessing to you. But we want to now pick up our study in chapter four of Judges and just to kind of give you a quick review where we have been uh, if you're just joining us in our study of the book of Judges. We know that Judges uh, is that time frame in the history of Israel that covers about 250 years, 300 year time span between the death of Joshua and up till the time when Israel asked for a king. And of course their first king would be Saul and then soon after that uh, would be David that would become the king and that would start the days of the kings. And so in this time frame we see that the children of Israel have rebelled against the Lord. The book of Joshua was a book where we saw That after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses, Joshua, Moses' assistant, would then uh, become the leader after the death of Moses there on Mount Nebo. And it would be Joshua that would lead the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the land of promise that the Lord swore to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give this land to you and to your descendants. So finally, after 400 years of being in bondage in Egypt and 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God fulfilled his promise to them as they would cross the Jordan River and they would begin to drive out the Canaanites. And, of course, the book of Joshua is a book of victory as they stepped out in faith, as they walked in obedience, and they drove out the inhabitants, and so they did battle against overwhelming odds as they faced the Canaanite kings. But the Lord, as he promised, would, said, I will give you victory. You don't need to be afraid. And we saw that after seven years of, of driving out the Canaanites, that there was 13 years of them dividing up the land. So each tribe received their allotment, and they've settled in, and there was rest in the land. But then we saw that Joshua gave a very interesting address there at the end of the book of Joshua, right before he death. Uh, Died, And right before the death of Joshua, we saw him address the children of Israel, saying to them that you need to choose who it is that you're going to serve and put away those idols that you have amongst you. And so already we see that Joshua knew that there was compromise that was taking place amongst the children of Israel. And in that compromise, Joshua was saying that the Lord remembered his covenant that he made with you, that if you... Um, forsake him and go after those canaanite idols uh, and gods that they're going to be a sword to your eyes and a thorn to your side and you're going to find yourself in captivity and so joshua made that great declaration and statement that that as for me and my house we're going to serve the lord and we saw in chapter 2 the book of judges that soon after his death that a generation had been gathered and and raised up that did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. So they had forgotten about the Lord. And what we saw as uh, they were raised up, they didn't know the Lord, they did, forgot the works of the Lord, is they began to, to um, then fall into idol worship and, and willful disobedience towards the Lord. And that's where we see this cycle that they're in, chapter 3, beginning to tell of the judges, the leaders that God would raise up. You see, they were ones that did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's a phrase that we're going to see over and over again in the book of Judges. They did evil once again in the sight of the Lord. And as they did, they would find themselves in bondage to one of those pagan kings. And after a while, being in bondage, they, they would cry out to the Lord. And the Lord, out of his mercy and grace, would then raise up a judge. The first judge that they raised up, we saw, was Othanel. Othanel, the nephew of Caleb. And, uh, of course, if you've been with us in our studies on Wednesday nights through the Old Testament, Caleb was one of the great men of faith, along with Joshua, that went into the Promised Land. The only two that came out of Egypt that were allowed to go into the promised land, the rest of them would die out there in the wilderness. And so Othanel, he would be raised up to free them from the king of Mesopotamia. Uh, We saw that they had rest for about 40 years, and then all of a sudden the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so they found themselves in bondage to a king uh, of Moab, Eglon, and it was um, uh, Ehud that was raised up as a judge that would then uh, free them from the king of Moab, Eglon. And so after that, there was rest for 80 years. Now, as we end at chapter 3, we know that it was um, 80 years was the longest period of rest that they had during the days of the judges. And then Shamgar, we don't know much about him. Only one verse tells us about him, the last verse there in chapter 3. Shamar, the son of Anath who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad and he also delivered Israel. So we're going to get indication here is now we move into chapter 4 and another judge is going to be raised up and her name's going to be Deborah. But I want to bring out this point one more time and then we're going to move on. But I think it's so important for us to remember this and it's simply this that as we saw that there was a generation that walked in faith and obedience to the Lord, saw great victory as they went and took the promised land, what happened in that generation between them and then that generation that rose up after Joshua that did not know the Lord and forgot the works of the Lord? What happened in between there is we saw in chapter 1, and that was the, there was an incomplete conquest of the land. There was compromise that was going on. You see, the children of Israel were told, do not make a covenant with those Canaanite kings. Don't have anything to do with them, with, with their gods, with their false worship. You're to tear down those altars and, and you're to deal with them in, in the way that God had prescribed. But what we saw in chapter 1 was there was really an incomplete conquest of the land. They, they had the, the Canaanite... Uh, kings under tribute they, they didn't drive them out they they had them under uh, forced labor and used them for their advantage and the lord said don't make a covenant with them is and what happened is soon the the compromise would continue and in that compromise what we see is that they would then begin to um, to intermarry with them and then they began to worship their gods and the principle for you and I to remember is simply this, is that when we end up in willful disobedience to the Lord, it doesn't happen in a way where we just wake up and we say, oh, I think I'm just going to you know, be in willful disobedience to the Lord and, and begin to worship false things and follow the ways of the world and all of this. What happens is, is that it begins with small compromises. And we compromise and we compromise and we think everything is okay. Everything is cool, man. Everything's all right with me. And then it leads to, to to a point where you're just falling away from the Lord. And that's what happened to the children of Israel. So this generation grew up not knowing the Lord, not remembering his works. And that's why it's so important. We're going to be reminded of that as we go through this. That we remember to God's faithfulness and his past faithfulness and his wonderful works that he has done in our lives. You know, as I read the book of Judges, I can't help but think about what we're seeing even in our own nation. And we have talked about it before. You can, you can read, I recommend a book, Ken Ham's The Last Generation. And, um, you know, the generation that that is gone almost from the church. A generation being raised up today that no longer wants to go to church. Kids coming out of high schools and the statistics not only Ken Ham has, but also Josh McDowell has done. He's written a book, The Last Generation. And what they are saying is that what they're seeing and as they're seeing throughout the churches in America is kids are coming out of high schools and they don't lo- no longer want to go to church anymore. And it's very much is a concern. And so we're seeing something that that very much was taking place in the days of the judges, a generation raised up not knowing the Lord, not remembering the works of the Lord. And that's why I encourage you, and it's such on my heart, and I hope it is on yours, to pray for these young people, to pray for these kids that are here, pray for the families that are here, that we get them rooted and grounded in God's truth because there's so many voices and deception out there that pull them away. And that's what we're seeing in the church today at large. So here is this generation raised up and so the cycle is going to continue chapter 4 we see when ehud was dead the children of israel did evil again in the sight of the lord so the lord sold them into the hand of jabin king of canaan who reigned in hazar and the commander of his army was sisera who dwelt by jereshath hagilim and the children of israel verse 3 ca- cried out to the lord For Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. And verse 4, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. So the cycle continues. Once again, they did evil inside the Lord, and they cry out to the Lord. And in his mercy and grace, he raises up a judge. And here it is Deborah. Now, in this chapter 4 and chapter 5, what we're going to see that is unique about this judge being raised up is that it is a woman that's being raised up now there is a debate among those who say well she really wasn't the judge it was more barack we're going to be introduced to barack he is the general of the army that's going to lead the children of israel into battle against this this king jabin who's the king of of the canaanites he has put the children of israel under bondage For 20 years and when we get into chapter 5 we're going to see how bad it really was the oppression that he put them through and he has this commander named Sesera. and so barak is going to lead the troops in the war so some say well it was really um barak that was the judge but as i read chapter four it says deborah prophetess the wife of lapidoth was judging israel at that time so that settles that for me she was the one that was judging israel at this time now, the debate comes whether she really was judging or not and whether it was Barak. I think that she was called by God to be the judge because it plainly says here. And the reason is, is because we talked a little bit about it um, a couple of Sundays ago. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talked about conduct in the church and order in the church. And we see in the New Testament that, first of all, in the home that God desires that the husband, the man, be leading the wife, be leading the family. God has ordained that. And if you weren't here to to listen to that, I want to encourage you to pick up a CD of that study. We talked about it very clearly, what that means, what it means for men to lead, what it means for headship for men in a family, with a wife, with, with kids. It means that you are called, ordained by God, commissioned by God divinely. That you are to lead your family, that means cherishing and loving and serving her, your wife, laying down your life for her, all those things that we discuss quite extensively as we covered that. It doesn't mean that you rule heavy-handedly, it doesn't mean that, you know, you walk around your house like King Tut and everything centers around you. So, i would encourage you to get that because it was a blessing and i had several people say you know what? that was one of the the best teachings that i heard and i'm not trying to boast you know Um, in the teaching but what i'm saying is that when we really look at scripture carefully and we see that the emphasis of leading is humility the emphasis humility to god and desiring to please god and how we lead our families and cherishing and providing and protecting and all those things then we understand really what god has called us to do but he has called that men that you are to lead in your families, that you are the head of the wife, and we also know that in the church, first Timothy chapter three, that men it is a desire for God to be the leaders in the church. And as we see the qualifications there of an elder, an overseer, as a bishop, as as a shepherd, then he is one that is to be the husband of one wife and the qualifications are there as well. So God has set up a divine order. Again, it does not mean that women cannot be used in ministry. I very much respect and awe at awe how the ladies and the women here in this church serve and how they serve faithfully. And we could not do the ministry here in the way that God wants us to without their you know their uh, obedience to god's calling in their life and their ministry here um to calvary chapel and to the people that are here and i very much respect and appreciate it and um a tremendous blessing but god has called for the leaders to be the men and that means again that we serve it means that we better be listening to the lord And submit it to the Lord in all things. And so those things that we can look at. And so here is Deborah. She is raised up to be the judge. So that's why there are those who are hesitant to say that Deborah was really the leader. I'm going to make a suggestion to you. Let's continue to read on why I believe God rose her up as to be the judge. She's an incredible woman, a prophetess. She's a wife. She's judging Israel, verse 5. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, and his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hands. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. I think that perhaps that God did want to raise up Barak to be the judge. He's the general of the army here. Kind of an interesting little side note that the chief commander of the Israeli defense forces today is called Barak. His name is Barak, his last name. And so it's interesting to tie in the names of what's going on today in Israel uh, to uh, 3,200 years ago. Barak here being the, the commander of the Israeli army. But he's reluctant. He's reluctant to lead. Notice here that this, this woman of God, he says, didn't God say to you there in, um, in, in verse 6, the Lord God of Israel command, go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? So in other words, Barak, he had received that. It's like she's saying, why didn't you do that? And here in verse 8, Barak is saying, you know what, Deborah, if you go with me, I'll go. But if not, I'm not going to go. So I think he was hesitant. I think that God perhaps wanted him to be the judge, but he didn't. And so God's going to accomplish his purposes, and he raised up Deborah. This woman who has confidence in the Lord speaks the words of the Lord. And I think there's a very important lesson in this and something for us men to think about. You know, God has called us divinely to lead our homes, to lead our wives, to lead our families. And I pray that we would be ones that we would say, okay, Lord, that's what you called me to do. Help me to do that. And unfortunately, and I'm I'm not trying to be critical, it's just an honest evaluation because I talk with a whole lot of families and and I've been a pastor for 18 years. But I see that men oftentimes are hesitant to take on that calling that God has given to them. And they will respond in a lot of the same way. Well, you know, wife... uh, Kids, if if you want to go to church, we'll go to church. If not, we'll just stay home. You know, if, if God has said this, but I don't know. I'm busy with life. Things are hard and making a living. But here's the thing. God has called you to do something very, very important. So, guys, stand up and lead. And I hope and I pray that we would encourage each other in that. That we would be like a Joshua that would stand up and say, listen, I'm going to lead in my home. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So get up, and we're going to be up and make it a priority that we're going to be in fellowship. We're going to be serving the Lord. We're going to gather the family together, and we're going to pray together, and we'll have devotions together. And that you search and you look to the Lord and depend on the Lord to help you be the man of God that he wants you to be. But don't just pass it off and say, well, you know, if you want to, if not, in him and Haw, because what will happen is, is then God will raise up that wife to lead the family, and I see that. And my wife is very capable, very spiritual woman. She knows the word of God. She's gifted by God. She could do that, but God has called me to lead. And so she encourages me in that and prays for me, and she'll remind me of that. God's called you to lead. And so I hope, man, that we would look at Scripture and understand that a great responsibility has been given to us, and we just wouldn't pass it on to somebody else and pass it on to to our wives. Again, God has set up a headship. It doesn't mean that we're better than our wives or she's inferior to us. But what it means is, is that God has called us to different roles. So men take on the roles. And I know that there's different situations and states that people find themselves in that maybe they're married to an unbeliever, and and they are. The, The wife is going to be the spiritual leader. Or maybe their husband just got saved, and she's, you know, going to be one that she's more spiritually along. I know there's different situations, but guys, the bottom line is this. Barack here was... One that was hesitant, Deborah, if you go, I'll go. If not, I'm not going to go. And I think that God wanted to raise him up. But he didn't do it, and he didn't take on the call. Didn't God tell you that you're deployed 10,000 troops, Barack? Why haven't you done that? And now he's going to raise up a woman who's very godly and very capable that's going to be leading in a way that Barack should have been leading. And so we need to be leading, guys, in the way that God wants us to. And that's what my prayer is, that we would. That's a great need, listen, in a church today. It really is. That husbands, fathers, that men would stand up in a dependency to the Lord and in humility and say, Lord, help me to lead in the way that you want me to. Because you have divinely ordained me to do that and that you would take on that call that god has given to you as you look to him he will enable you because his commandments are his enablements and so here we see that there was hesitation and so verse 9 so she said i will surely go with you nevertheless there will be no glory for you in this journey you are taken for the lord will sell Sisera at the hand of a woman then deborah rose and went with barak to Kadesh. and so In other words, what she says is she's prophesying once again. She is saying, you know what, the Lord's going to give you victory, but here's the thing, Barak, you're not going to be the one that's going to be the hero of this story. It's going to be another woman. And as we continue on, we're going to see that that woman's name is um, J.L., and we're going to see how it is that she's going to play a role in defeating this Canaanite uh, general that's um, going to end up coming to her house, verse 10 and Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Now Hibor, the Kenite, and the children of Hobed, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the Territory of Zainiam, which is beside Kadesh. So here is a relative, really, of, of Moses' father-in-law. He has peace with this king, Jabin, and... of of Canaan, he pitches his tent there named Kadesh, and he has a wife, as we are going to see, named Jael. And so they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from um, Harasheth, Hagiohim, to the river Kishon. So here is Sisera. He has a huge advantage, doesn't he? He has 900 chariots. Now, the children of Israel, they don't have any weapons. And as we are going to look at the Song of Deborah, and we will get to it in chapter 5 and look at it quickly, we're going to see the condition of what it was like when they were under oppression of this Canaanite king, Jabin. And we're going to see that there was no spears. There was no shields. It was taken away. That's what the the oppressor would do. He would take away the weapons from those he was oppressing so they wouldn't rise up and rebel. So here is Barak. He calls the troops 10,000. I don't know what they had. Now, we saw in chapter 3 that it was uh, Shamgar who would do away with 600 Philistines, killed them with an ox goad. And that's just a stick that they would have to, you know, kind of uh, take the ox and get him going and direct them in certain areas. So, of course, the Spirit of God was on him. We don't know if that was 600 Philistines that he killed over his lifetime or at one time. We don't know. So here's the children of Israel. They're facing 900 chariots. They might as well be facing 900 tanks with their shields and a huge army, and they don't have any weapons. And to the world's view, you know, here is Sisera. He's going to wipe them out. He's going to mop up, and he's going to go home with the spoils, and that's going to be the end of it. But when you have God on your side, The odds are in favor with you. Joshua, when you go against those Canaanite kings, we saw in the book of Joshua that they would face overwhelming odds and the Canaanite kings banded together and they were facing the chariots. And the Lord said, when you have victory, Joshua, don't be afraid of them. But when you have victory, what I want you to do is this. I want you to hamstring those horses and burn the chariots. And you would think that, man, those chariots would be beneficial to the army of the children of Israel as they were making conquests through the land and doing battle. Those horses would be a benefit, but the Lord was showing Joshua something very important, and that is you hamstring those horses. You cut the tenons so they can't be used in battle. You burn those chariots because I want you to trust in me. And so later on, David would write in the book of Psalms that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust, we will remember the name of the Lord. And that is very important in the battles that we face in our lives and the difficulties that we face and the enemy that comes against us that we are to trust in the name of the Lord and look to Him because His promises are true. He desires to work on our behalf, show Himself strong on our behalf, and He wants us to look to Him and trust in Him. And so oftentimes we will look to other things. He would say to the children of Israel in Isaiah chapter 30, I was reading it today, Woe to the rebellious children of Israel. You seek counsel, but not of me. You're going to Egypt, and you're looking to those fast Arabian horses to free you from the Assyrians. But it's all in vain. You know, again, it reminds me of the condition of our nation. We're the greatest nation in the world. That is in prosperity and and what we have, and God has blessed this nation. But over the last generation, we have been one that we're getting further away from the Lord and we're forgetting about the Lord. And what we need to pray is for true revival and for us to turn back to the Lord and and to recognize that, Lord, we need to look to you because we were a nation that were founded on godly principle by godly men and throughout our nation, a godly nation, a Christian nation that we prayed and we looked to the Lord. But now we're losing that. And it doesn't matter how many horses and chariots that we have, but any time a group of people, a church, a, a nation gets to where they're no longer trusting the Lord, it's a dangerous place to be. And so the Lord wants us to look to Him and to trust in Him. And so the children of Israel—they're looking at these nine hundred chariots, this huge army, shields—and and they don't have anything. But we know that the Lord is going to bring them victory, just as Deborah said would take place. So verse 14, Deborah said to Barak, Up for this is the day which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera aligned, alighted his chariot, that is, he bailed from his chariot and fled away on foot. And so here they're having victory. The Lord's bringing victory to them. Uh, It doesn't go into details, but we know that the commander, Sisera, he is fleeing away on foot. In verse 16, Barak pursued chariots and army as far as Hariseth Haggajim, and the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. However, Sesera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, And there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazar, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael went in to meet Sesera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. So here Sesera he flees. The, the Canaanite army is beaten to it by the edge of the sword. So somehow the children of Israel, they were able to make some kind of weapon, sword out something, we don't know what exactly it was, but they're having this victory. Sesera runs, he, he comes to Jael, to her tent, to her house, and he says, hide me. So she comes into the ho- he comes into the house, he covers him with a blanket, verse 19, and then he said to her, this is Sesera, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here, you shall say no. And Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and softly went to him. In other words, tiptoed. Tiptoed over to him. He's there under this cover, this blanket, whatever. He's asleep. And then drove the peg into his temple. Well, let's back up. Jael's wife took the tent peg, took a hammer in her hand, softly tiptoed to him, (laughs) and drove the peg into his temple and went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with a peg in his temple. So on that day God subdued Jabin king of Canaan in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin king of Canaan until they had destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. So here he's under this cover. He falls asleep. Here is Jael. She tiptoes over, takes a tent stake and a hammer and nails him literally. His temple to the floor and he dies. What can we learn from this? (laughs) good things all right (laughs) listen here is Sisera he comes and he's being a little bossy isn't he he's saying hide me if anybody asks you know if I'm here say no give me a drink of, of water you know that's what the enemy will do the enemy will come along and start yelling at you making demands and saying hide me and all of this don't let anyone know. Don't let anybody know that I'm here. And that's a tactic of the enemy in your life. That he will try to get into your home. And he will try to get into a place in your life to where he's making demands and he wants more. And, and he's saying, hide me, cover me up. Don't let anybody know. Listen, if you're in a place where you're involved in sin or compromising, you know it's not right... You can fool the people around you. You can maybe hide it from the people around you, to your family, to other brothers and sisters, people at work, whatever it might be, but you cannot hide it from the Lord. And the enemy is very good about, you hide this thing. I'll just sneak downstairs and take a little look on that computer, or I'll be just a little bit dishonest here in my business, or whatever it might mean. And you can't hide that from God, but the flesh and the enemy will come along and demand more and begin to scream at you. And what you need to do is you need to do what Jael did. And that is she, she took this hammer in the stake. Now in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29, the Lord says, Is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rocks? And what you do is you take the word of God and make sure that you have it tucked away in your heart. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God, is what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119. And we are to be ones that we have the word of God that is planted in our hearts, that is growing there, yielded to the spirit of God, walking with him. But it's important that we do that. It was the enemy that came to Jesus and tempted Jesus and said, turn these stones to bread, and what do you say? Man shall not eat by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He was quoting the book of Deuteronomy. Hey, I want you to jump off the... the, the pinnacle of the temple and jesus said you shall not tempt the lord your god as it is written bow down to me and i'll give you all the nations of the world and jesus said is it not written that you shall worship the lord your god and only him and jesus combated that with the word of god and that's what we were to do when the enemy comes along and tries to condemn you tries to trick you makes demands towards you You use the Word of God, the hammer of God's Word, and you have it tucked away in your heart and have it worked out in your life as you yield to the Lord and walk in the obedience that has been given to you. It's so very important in these days because there's a lot of Sisera's that are out there at our doorsteps, at the doorsteps of our lives, in our homes, desiring to get in. And so they have great victory here in the Song of Deborah, chapter 5, very quickly. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. I have verse 2 underlined. I love this verse. When leaders lead in Israel, when people are willingly offered themselves, bless the Lord. What a blessing it is. What a joy it is to be willing instruments of God. Leadership is an important call of God. Men, a priority for you. And men, priority as you are called to lead in whatever that might mean for you. Maybe in the workplace, in your business, maybe even in the church. But what God can and will do when someone takes on the calling of leader. And that's why I like this. When leaders lead in Israel, (laughs) Barack, see what happens? When you take on the leadership that God has called you to, willingly offer themselves, and you see that's where it comes to where we willingly say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I hear your calling, what you've called me to do. Help me to do that. And what he will do and can do when somebody humbles their hearts and yields their hearts to the Lord in that way. When we do that, when it comes to the church, and as Peter would write in his epistle that in First Peter chapter 5, that we offer ourselves willingly, freely as we serve. But God will do abundantly, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think as we do that. What He will do as you yield to Him, He wants to bless and in you become one that you're full of joy as you're just taking on that call that God has given to you. And verse 3, Hear, O king, give ear, O princes. I even, I sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured and the clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. And so we see that God re- they remember God's past faithfulness um, and that's what we are to do. Remember that God's goodness and and his working in your life. He has saved you. He's forgiven you. He's saved me and forgiven me. And he has been faithful. And he's been so good. And we talked about that a little bit again on Sunday morning when we talked about the importance of coming to the Lord's table, remembering what Jesus did for us in that section of 1 Corinthians. As Paul said to the Corinthians, what you're doing is not good. You're not giving reverence to the Lord's table. You're not coming with the right heart. So it's important that we understand that we are remembering what Jesus Christ did for us and then to pass that heritage on to our children and to pray for them and to minister to them and to continue to, to, to remind them. And what I want to do to my kids, and I've been doing this, is God's been good to us. He's been God to, good to mom and me and to the ministry, and he's blessed us. And, and he wants to be one that is working in your life as well as you just continue to walk with him remember his goodness and his faithfulness you know on sunday it's it's always hectic but it just seems like especially since easter it's been real hectic for for me and my family and with the death of dad and and then you know barbara's graduation and all the other graduations and then everything else and VBS last week and it's it's god has been good and faithful but Sunday after church, it was like, okay, boys, we're going to take off, go to the mountains, set up a tent, do some fishing. And we did that. And we went to a place where, um, that we had known that it was a place actually where probably about five, six years ago, we had a church camp out there. It's just some families that we went there, and we had a great time for a couple of days. And as we were there camping, it's a beautiful place. There's moose and there's deer and elk and there's even bear. We've seen bear there. And, and um, the place hasn't changed at all much. It still looks the same. But as I was remembering the families that were there, there's been a lot of change. Some of the families aren't here. They've, they've moved. And, and God is still blessing them and working in their lives. Some of the families that are still here, there's been a lot of change. Kids have grown up and graduated. And they're gone. And some are serving in the military. Some, you know, are, are doing other things. But I look back at that time that was very special. When we, you know, knew each other and at that time, that season that the Lord had us, us in. That's why that I hope that you always remember that the days that we have, that the Lord has us to gather together that that really is a special time. This is a special time. But as time goes on, things change, don't they? And God was faithful back then, and he's faithful now. And he wants to continue to be faithful to us. So we enjoy the season that we're in now, but God wants to continue to work. He wants to continue to show himself strong. But don't forget his past faithfulness as well. And so verse 6, in the days of Shamgar, that is son of Anna, that was the other judge before Deborah, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted, the travelers walked along the byways, village life ceased, it ceased in Israel, until I Deborah arose, arose a mother in Israel. Interesting, isn't it, there in verse 7. So he's they're singing about the condition, what it was like there Uh, during this life under the Canaanite oppression. Life was hard. Uh, uh, Verse 8, they chose new gods, uh, and then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Again, they took the weapons away, is what they did. But this caught my eye, actually, this afternoon, I was thinking about this. I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. She was a prophetess. She's a judge. She's a godly woman. But it seems like as she's given this song, she's most proud of being a mother. And so I want to encourage moms, dads, maybe our society may diminish the importance of, you know, being a mom, being a dad, but in God's eyes, it is very, very important. It's a priority. And I hope, again, that as we last month observed Mother's Day and last Sunday's Father's Day. That we would be a congregation again that would pray for moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. That we would understand that in God's eyes, the ministry of being a mom and ministry of being a dad is extremely important. It's a priority in God's eyes. And don't let anybody diminish that. And so here she's proud that she's a mother. In verse 9, my heart is with the ruler's of Israel, who offer themselves willingly with the people, bless the Lord, so again, whenever that we desire to to lead, it is to be done in a way that we freely do that. in verse ten, speak you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judge's attire, and who walk along the road, far from the noise of the archers among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Obinoam. And so here, recounting great victory. And we're called in this life, folks. I know that this isn't a a revelation. (laughs) But this life on this side of eternity, it's a battle, isn't it? I I hate the fact that it's a battle, but it just is. And it's going to be a battle all the days of your life till the Lord takes us home. And so we are to be ones to put on the whole armor of God and understand that we are called to do battle. Timothy was likened to a soldier for Jesus Christ. That's what you and I are likened to. Because the enemy comes against us, throwing those fiery darts at us, Ephesians chapter 6, so you make sure you understand that our, our battle isn't with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual weakness in high places. It is a spiritual battle that's out there. And as you continue to grow in the things of the Lord and get closer to him and love him more, he's going to come against you harder and harder and harder. Jesus said, the world's going to hate you because it first hated me. So it's a battle out there. It is a battle. But God has called us to be ones, to put on the armor of God, to look to him, to trust him, and to re- recount how he has worked in our battles uh, in the past and how he will be faithful in the future. So verse 14, that or verse 13, then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down from, the, from me against the mighty, from Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek, after you, Benjamin, and your peoples from Maccar, rulers, came down from Zebulon, those who bared the recruiter's staff, and from the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, as Issachar so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolve of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the Pipings of the flock. The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by its inlets. Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their life to the point of death. Naphtali also in the heights of the battlefield. So here we see kind of an interesting, a roll call of the tribes, those who helped, those who didn't help, those who did not help. We see were Reuben, Dan, Manasseh, East Manasseh, Asher, they did not join in into the battle. It's like, you know, why did you remain on the ships, Dan? Why did you, you know, remain in the inlets? What are you going to do? Stand by the sheepfold and hear the piping's going on? And so there were those who didn't join in. And then there were others, Ephraim, West Manasseh, Benjamin, Zebulun, Issachar, Naphtali. They joined in with the battle. Zebulon, the people who jeopardized their lives, verse 18, Naphtali, at the heights of the battlefield, I think there's too many Christians, this is just opinion of mine, that don't want to join in with the battle. They just want to be comfortable. But when we engage in the things of the Lord and we're growing in the things of the Lord, it is a battle, and we're called in that battle to trust in the Lord, yes, to stand on His promises, but it is a battle, isn't it? And when you desire to serve the Lord, understand that the battle is going to continue on but I think that there are Christians that that, I don't want to get involved in that stuff. I just want to do my thing and, and that's it. He has called us to be involved, to engage. Because it's a worthy cause, isn't it? And we have a great commander, the Lord. And I pray that we would understand that as we willingly give ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be your ambassador, your soldier that I desire, and however it might mean for me and whatever opportunities you give to me, that I understand it's going to be a battle. But people are dying out there without knowing Jesus Christ. And people are getting deceived. And that's why we need to fight the good fight of the Spirit. And that's why, again, I love that chapter 4 of the book of Nehemiah when they're, they're building the walls and the enemy's coming against them and they're discouraged and they're frightened by the enemies and, and it's Nehemiah saying, listen, stand up and you fight. And the men had a sword in one hand and a trial in the other. And you fight for your wives, you fight for your children, you fight for your brethren is what Nehemiah is saying. And the Lord is great and awesome. And the wall's going to be built. And so they did what God had called them to do through the working of the Lord. But you know what? It's a battle. So you fight for your family. You fight for your kids. For your brethren. You be in prayer. That's our battle. It's God's love and prayer. That's our weapons and God's word. The sword of the spirit and the trial. Whatever God has called you to do. And you're building the walls as we are continuing to do god's work but it's a battle out there just as the men and women of god who are faithful to him have experienced and we will experience as well others sat on the satellites didn't want to do anything weren't used of the lord and so the kings came and fought verse 19 and kings of canaan fought to taak te- by the waters of megiddo they took no spoils of silver they fought from the heavens the stars Uh, From their courses fought against Sisera, and the torrent of Kishon swept them away. That ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon, O my soul, march on in strength. And then the horses' hoofs pounded the galloping, galloping of his steeds, and coarse miraz. The angel of the Lord cursed his inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord. They helped the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. She asked for water, she gave milk, she brought out cream a lordly bowl, and stretched her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Cesera, she pierced his head, she split and struck through his temple. At her feet, he sank, he fell, he lay still. at her feet, he sank, he fell, and where he sank, there he fell dead. And the, so here we see in verses 18 through 22, we see that God used supernatural means rain came from heaven rain came from heaven as the waters the torrents of water Kishon there in verse 21 torrents of Kishon swept them away chariot doesn't work very good in mud so I think that's why Sisera had to flee from his chariots and the lord fights the battle for us psalm 24 8 the lord strong and mighty the lord mighty in battle and then recalling verses 24 through 27 the the jail and and killing sisera protected israel protected israel from the enemy protected the you know and kept the enemy from having that presence in her home because she had to hammer you know what protect your home folks protect your home protect your home from the presence of the enemy who tries to hide in so many different ways in your home. And so easy for him to get a foothold into our homes. Protect. And you protect with praises of God in your home. With the word of God being present in your home. And honoring God in the way that you live. And then as we finish. The mother or sister of verse 28. Looked through the window and cried out through the lattice. Why is this chariot so long and coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil to every man a girl or two? For Sisera plundered of dyed garments, plunder of garments, embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord. And let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So here in these final verses, we see that it's Sisera's mother that's looking out saying, they should be home. Why aren't they home? Why don't I hear his chariots come driving up? This shouldn't have been a big deal. And so she's thinking, ah, oh, they're dividing up the spoils. The, the women around here are, are saying, yeah, that's what's happening. They're dividing up the spoils. They got, you know, all this stuff they're going to bring to us, and they've got the jewelry and all of this, and they're fooling themselves, aren't they? You see, there's a lot of people in the world that are fooling themselves. And as we proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ, there are those who are fooling themselves thinking, I don't need Jesus, I don't need the Lord in my life, I don't need any of these things. And I hope that we would be ones engaged in prayer. That we would be praying that the blindness would be taken away from them and that their hearts would be open to the things of God and to the truth of God's word, that we have a heart for those who are really fooling themselves, thinking that, you know what, God's not true, he's not coming back, the word of God's not true, and thinking everything's going to be okay. God is a God of judgment that's going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom and he will judge the world. So we need to pray for those that we know, those that we care about, Lord, their eyes may be open, that they could come to wisdom and understanding the things of God. And so, Father, that is our prayer. And Father, I, I, I hope and pray that we would be ones that would continue to grow in that wisdom and grow in knowledge of you, but to grow in our love for you. Father, that we would share that with others. The world out there that's Bullying themselves, thinking that you're not true, your word's not true, and you're not coming back. We pray for the people in our lives that we care about and love and work alongside of, live next to, family members that we care about, that you would take the blindness away from them and that you would soften their hearts and that we would be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would be ones as well, that we would understand that in this world as we're dedicated to you and we desire to walk with you, that, Father, that we would be ones, that we understand it's a battle. And, Lord, knowing that you will give us victory and strength and wisdom and direction, that we would look to you for counsel, that we would trust in you, not in the horses and chariots. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And I pray also, Lord, that you would take on, or we would, freely and willingly, What you've called us to be, the roles that you called us, perhaps opportunities that you give to us to serve you, to lead, Lord, to please you with our lives. And Lord, how we need you so much in that, in your wisdom. We do pray for our young people. We pray for our children. We pray for those who are growing up and going out in the world, that they wouldn't forget your works. That Jesus Christ came and died for them. That we would pass that heritage on to them and pray for them and encourage them in the things of God. But Lord, we know that there's so much to distract them. So I pray for the hearts of our junior high kids, our high schoolers, our young adults. That Lord, that the enemy wouldn't come in and steal their hearts. I pray that you would just keep them and Lord, that they would be reminded of your goodness and faithfulness. We lift them up to you, Lord. We pray for your protection upon them and your working in their lives. And Father, I ask that you would just, Lord, help us, all of us, Lord, to understand that we are to put on the whole armor of God in the battle that we do in this life. And Lord, that we will proclaim your goodness and your faithfulness and your truth to others. Oh, Father, we pray for our nation. We pray that we would be a nation that would recognize that we need you in the challenges and the difficulties that we face. That, Lord, that we would cry out to you, we would humble our hearts, we would be a nation that would repent. And as a nation that once looked to you, now being called a nation that's no longer a Christian nation, that, Lord, we know that there's still a battle going on for this country. And it's fought with prayer and the truth of your word. So I pray that there would be repentance in this nation and a turning to you and a recognizing that we need to trust in you and call upon your name and yield our lives to you, that there be true revival that takes place in the church Lord, and in this nation. We know that you're coming back very soon and you're going to establish your kingdom, Lord. And you're going to set things straight. So I pray that we would be light and salt. And Lord, that we would be your ambassadors. And Father, that we would continue to look to you. And Lord, to know that you've already given us victory through the death of Jesus Christ who died on Calvary's cross for all of us. Father, I pray that you'd just help those right now who have need, who are hurting, to those who perhaps are confused, those who are struggling in whatever area it might be. That Lord, that we can turn to you in your goodness, in your faithfulness, in your word. Show yourself strong on our behalf. Guide us, direct us, provide. Bless everyone here now as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. We're going to end the service here. And um, if you need prayer for anything at all, I'll be here to, happy to pray with you. want to be able to do that, but may the Lord bless you as you head out tonight.